0: You're listening to Sportsnet Today
1: with Logan Gordon
0: on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. a way to win one they had 1-0 and 2-1 leads the stars tied the game at one and then at two and scored three straight before the flames got one of those goals back but too little too late and despite outshooting the stars 22-6 in the third period and 46-31 in the hockey game the flames failed to snap their five-game losing streak the stars will leave calgary with a 4-3 win
2: straight losses for the Calgary Flames. You heard it from Derek Wills, the voice of the Flames here on Sportsnet 960. A late push. Good but not good enough for the Calgary Flames. Good news, Connor Zary looked good. The bad news, what's been an awful start to the season has now continued for the Calgary Flames. Welcome to Sportsnet Today. It's Logan Gordon along with you. From the Doug Lacy's Basement Systems downtown studios here in Calgary, Alberta. For Doug Lacy's Basement Systems, Cracked Foundation, Bowling Foundation walls. They have a simple permanent solution to stabilize your foundation. Contact Basement Systems. They're all things basement. You visit dlbasementsystems.com. We'll dive into the Calgary Flames story in just moments. Six straight losses for the group. Jordan Osterley placed on waivers this afternoon by the Calgary Flames as they were back on the ice and they'll look to end this six game losing streak when they take on the Seattle Kraken as part of Hockey Night in Canada on Saturday night but also on the program today we're getting you set for the Calgary Stampeders and the BC Lions the West Semifinal coming up Saturday we'll check in on the Lions with Matt Baker Communications and Content Manager for the BC Lions Maddie Rose has a stamps report for you four Calgary Stampeders named as Division All-Stars and we'll also chat with Gary Davidson new GM of the Calgary Hitmen, they had an excellent weekend at the Scotiabank Saddledome and have been waiting for a while to find their new GM, they have their man, it's Gary Davidson, he'll join us in hour two to talk all things Calgary Hitmen, there's Matty Rose with that beautiful bare face as Movember's taking over Whew. Must be cold for you, Maddie. You'll hear from Maddie a little bit later on. His stamps report coming up, getting you set for the West Semifinal Stampeders and BC Lions on Saturday night. But we have to, of course, start with the Calgary Flames. Good, but not good enough. Silver linings abound for this team, but the message has stayed the same. And that message lately has been just, just not enough to win hockey games. Six straight for the flames four three last night to the Dallas stars really done in by a bad second period that saw the Dallas stars take control of the game. They scored three goals in that second period and it was enough to keep them ahead of the Calgary flames for the remainder of the game. Again, a good start to this game by the Calgary flames, something that hasn't been difficult for them. I think they've started off games. They've started off periods, Pretty well this season, but twice last night, a late goal sinks what could have been a good effort in the first period. Jamie Ben, at 1906, shorthanded, ties the game up at one, and you feel as though a good period for the Calgary Flames is kind of put to the wayside, and then Mason Marchment gives the stars what eventually would be the game winner at 1948 of period two, so just not a complete effort in the period. Those are gut punch kind of goals for the Calgary Flames. And this team continues to struggle to put together 60 minutes to find consistent levels of offense. And that's why we're here talking about this team in a really bad slump. It's no longer early in the season. We're into November now, but we're just trying to pick at silver linings for what this team is hopefully showing us as they try to end this 6 game losing. streak. quick reminder, if you're listening live, you want to chat with us, send us a text at 960-960. The fan feedback line always open to you here on Sportsnet today. If you've got thoughts on the Calgary Flames and their loss to the Dallas Stars, feel free to chime in. Let's get into a couple storylines last night. We mentioned that good uh, first period for the Calgary Flames ruined by a late Jimmy Bengal. And then a second period that did them in. Here's what the head coach, Ryan Huska, had to say about uh, how he saw the period breakdown in last night's game.
1: Um, It was better. I liked the resolve in the third period. You know, we had a a lull in the second period, which cost us the night. Um, But there was pushback in the third period, and and it seemed like we were starting to get our, our game going a little bit. I get that this is a results-based business, but it's also a process for you guys that you're trying to, you know, put something together over 82 games. Does it feel like this was a step in the right direction? Um, yep. Yeah. There was uh, the start of the game for us was good. We did a lot of good things in the first period. Um, there was a portion of the second was good until, you know, the, the lull I mentioned earlier. And the third period was more of, um, you know, our team showing a little bit of swagger. You know, it's not easy when you're going through these stretches of games, but, um, you know, the only way to get out of it is together. And I thought in the third period, we did a much better job of that.
2: That's head coach Ryan Huska speaking to the media following a Wednesday night defeat at the hands of the Dallas Stars. And that lull he talked about was a a difference maker in the game. And we talk about 60-minute efforts, and it's something that me and Pat have talked about a lot with this team is It's something that Megan Mickelson brings up, and she knows as well as anybody. A 60-minute effort doesn't necessarily mean that you dominate the other team for 60 minutes. There are good teams. Dallas is a good team. Dallas is now 6-1-1 on the season. They're going to have their moments in games where they're the better team, where they dictate play, but you have to do your best as as a Calgary Flames group to stop that and not let it Turn into these massive peaks and valleys. And that's kind of what happened to them last night. Is They had a very bad stretch of about 10 minutes. That the head coach called a lull. And to be honest about it. They were severely outplayed. Dallas controlled the puck. They spent a lot of time in the offensive zone. Led to a couple of goals. Led to a couple of great chances. Led to a couple of big saves. I thought Jacob Markstrom actually probably helped that lull not turn into something worse for the Calgary Flames. It was already a bad stretch of hockey, but in that moment, that's where the flames are just lacking that, that presence to break free from that sort of moment because you can't, you, you can't come out of it. If you're the Calgary Flames, it's, it's a tough road back for this team offensively at the end of two when the other team scored four already. We've talked about them not being full of superstars and scores. Well, you're sitting there after 40 minutes going, we need five. Because we had a really bad lull in the second period. We need five now. And I'm sorry, most nights, the reality is this team's not getting to five. That's not to say they can't win hockey games because they did a lot of good things last night. But I think they were reminded that those stretches, those bad stretches or those stretches where the other team is going to be the better team, you can't let it spiral out of control. You have to, somebody has to be able to break that up for the Calgary Flames and say, look, enough is enough. We got to get a shift in the offensive zone. We can't be running around in our own zone for 10 minutes and watching Dallas dictate play they eased up on their zone entries, they struggled in the defensive zone. It was just too easy for Dallas to come in for a strong period of time or a long period of time there, excuse me, and dictate play to the Calgary Flames and that's just not how you're going to win hockey games. Again, it's not all doom and gloom. I do think as far as a six-game losing streak goes, there were positives last night. The number one positive was no doubt game number 1 for Connor Zary who opened the scoring last night and had himself a heck of an NHL debut.
0: Here's Hannafin out in front, Sharon Govich trying a shot, can't get it through. Now Hannafin a shot that deflects wide. Here's Kadri, right point to Tanev, slaps the puck back to Kadri, who gives it back to Tanev. He shoots, the shot gets knocked down, and now they score! In his first National Hockey League game, Connor Zary scores his first NHL goal, and he gives the Flames a one to lead.
2: What a spark Connor Zeri was last night. His first NHL goal on his third shift. It was his first shot on goal. First Flames player to score on his first shot in his first game since Pat Seeloff did it April 9th of 2016. Connor Zeri played 16 minutes and 11 seconds. He had six shots on goal. And maybe most importantly, when the Calgary Flames were within a goal late in the third period, number 47 was out there trying to make an impact. He had a great move past Yanni Hockenpah at one point that, you know, had Hockenpah wondering who 47 was. If it was 13 reincarnated in a flames Jersey we haven't seen somebody with those kind of moves in a long time here in Calgary, but to a great scoring chance uh, on Jake Ottinger. And it was just so refreshing to see a guy with that kind of confidence with the puck on his stick. And it sure felt like it was a boost to his teammates, to his line mates. He played with Nazem Kadri and Yegor Sharangovich. And I thought that was the best line for the Calgary Flames last night. And it was all anybody could talk about, and rightfully so, on the post-game show with Pat last night. I I was listening in on my way home. The texts, the calls, everybody was raving about number 47. It's just one game. We're not anointing him uh, the next McDavid or the next superstar for the Calgary Flames. But in the midst of what's been a really down couple of weeks for the Calgary Flames and could have been a really down night last night knowing that you did lose your sixth in a row. It was just nice to have a a bright spot to talk about and somebody to focus on in a really positive way. The head coach obviously thought in a very similar sense. Here's Ryan Huska's thoughts on Connor Zary's debut in the NHL.
1: I I thought Connor was excellent tonight. He played with confidence, he played with courage, and um, he was one of our, our better forwards tonight for sure.
2: He seen Connor out late in the game, a sign that the coach likes what he's done for the first 59 minutes of the weekend. Well, he had impact
1: tonight. When he was on the ice, there was, there was impact. I mean, there was uh, you know, a few things on, on the defensive side of the puck that you, know, you, you can work with him on. But I thought when he was on the ice, he skated. Um, he wanted the puck and he made plays when he had it. And he didn't do it in a risky or unreliable way. So I, I thought for his first night, he, he had a very good night.
2: No argument here. Really well done by Connor Zeri. The big thing is this is this happens with every single player, Pelche, Coronado, whoever you want to talk about. The key to it now is consistency and learning how to do it on an everyday level. But at a very minimum, to me, Connor Zeri earned himself another opportunity to be in the Flames lineup on Saturday when they head to Seattle to take on the Kraken. And that's all you could ask. They're dealing with a lot of injuries. Their forward depth is being tested. And for a guy that probably could have had a, a negative, really negative outlook after he had a good training camp, but couldn't find himself on the Flames roster. We heard earlier this week, what was he asked to do going back to the American Hockey League? And the Flames management and coaches said, be a difference maker. Set yourself apart from your teammates, and he did that at the American Hockey League level. He earned the call-up, and so far he's earned himself, in my mind, at least one more, if not more than that, Uh, a look at the NHL level. That's how good Connor Zary was for the Calgary Flames last night. Uh, Speaking of lines and deep pairings, they were back at practice today at the Scotiabank Saddledome. Shouldn't surprise anybody. Zary was still on that line with Kadri and Sharon Govich. Your top line of Huberto, Lindholm, and Nanjapani stayed together. Hunt was with Backlund and Coleman. Uh, and interesting to see Dylan Dubey who missed last night's game, was at practice, skating on a fourth line in the center spot with Greer and Dewar. Matt Coronado coming in as the extra winger on that line. Coronado struggled a bit last night. Uh, he was asked to play center on the fourth line with Greer and Dewar. And uh, as you hear from the head coach, wasn't the best game for Coronado or that line. What were your impressions of uh, Coronado at center?
1: Um, it, was just, it was a bit of a struggle for him in that line tonight.
2: Up to 10 games on the season now for Matt Coronado. One goal, one assist, and two points. Uh, played 1233 last night Had three shots on goal. Did play 1722 against the Edmonton Oilers at the Heritage Classic last Sunday. But I, I think you're seeing a bit from Coronado here that needs, you know, the pro game is a big transition from the NCAA and it's going to take some time for him to like every young player. And this isn't just him. The same applies to Connor area. The same applies to any young player. It's Ilya Solovyov who, well, you know, maybe we'll see at some point now with Osterly, uh on waivers. It's that consistency. It's learning how to do it on a, a day in, day out basis. So I thought, you know, we had one strong young player last night in Connor Zeri, Less so from a guy like Matt Coronado. Uh, again, Flames back in action on Saturday night. It's an eight o'clock puck drop from Seattle. Pat Steinberg's got your Flames warm up at seven o'clock. Derek Wills and Megan Mickelson on the call, 8 o'clock right here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Uh, some of your texts at 960-960, The Fan Feedback Line, always open to you. If you're listening live, feel free to shoot us a text. Our pal Matt and Cochran kicking things off. Uh, it was a great game last night. Zary looked excellent, and they lost. All aboard for Team Tank. They're so far behind already, they would need to go on a run just to get to 500. Uh, This text says, so reminiscent of last year already. Uh, Hard not to to feel that way sometimes. I can understand that. Uh, This says, uh, guys, I just saw where Coronado is a healthy scratch for Saturday. The young guys like him and Zeri are best uh, energy we have on the ice. Also not afraid to shoot the puck. Those two should be in the lineup every night. Maybe make Huberdo a healthy scratch. At the very least, keep him off the power play. I don't know that Coronado's a healthy scratch. He was sort of operating as a, a fill-in on the wing with Dylan Dubé in the fourth. Um, on the fourth line, center clearly struggled um, at that position. I, so I don't know that he's going to be a healthy scratch on, on Saturday. I can't tell you one way or another. We're still a couple days out from that happening. I I think he struggled last night, and I think clearly the the coach is trying to find the best spot for him uh, right now, given how he's playing. Uh, John and drum Heller says too many plays end on the stick of Huberto at over 10 million. He's hurting this team more than helping. So either he makes his salary, continues hurting the flames or he makes his salary and helps the team by not playing at all. Doesn't it make sense to sit him? Our rookies help the team more than Huberto does bring more of them up. Put Huberto in the bleachers. Uh, this one said, I'm not fully sold on Markstrom's back. Narrative. Sure, the team in front of him wasn't great in the second, but I counted two more goals that went right through him. I don't know, just not convinced. On a side note, Zeri for Mayer. Uh, this text says, uh, at least an opportunity for another game. He was their best player. I uh, won't disagree with that. Uh, this one says, what do you guys think of Merrick's idea of bringing in Duclair to help Huberto?" Oh, that's from Derek and Red Deer. Sure, maybe if you can make it work. I have no idea um the Jonathan Huberto question is a frustrating one at best right now and uh Elliot Friedman put out a 32 thoughts last night a written edition if you'd like to go read it it's up at Sportsnet.ca, and in there amongst a bunch of flames notes which I'll I'll read off in a, in a moment here uh one of his 32 thoughts was that the flames are looking at a different ways to try to get more out of Jonathan Huberto and instead of being frustrated and giving up on the player, they're going to try some new things. There wasn't specifics. I don't expect the organization to divulge anything specific, but I don't think this is a case of them simply saying, look, it's not working. How do we rid ourselves of this? Or what's the best way to get away from this? It's, it's year one of an eight-year contract extension. Whether you love that or hate that, that's the reality, and I think for right now, at least, the Flames are going to look to try to make the best of it however they can. What that means, what that looks like, bringing in familiar players, trying different things, I, I don't know. The valleys with this guy are, are just... It's too frequent that he's not noticeable, and I don't get it. I, I wish I had answers for you. I know that the you're pulling your hair out Listening to this, I, I can't help you with that. I I still fully believe you don't lose the talent by moving from Florida to Calgary. I believe it was Jay Fresh uh, on Twitter, one of the big uh, hockey analytics guys, who threw up a video the other day of, uh, of a highlight pack of, of Hubertos going back to his last season in Florida. He had a really strong game, and... I watched the video, and I kid you not, I thought it was a different guy. It was insane to see the confidence, the shiftiness, just the the way that he went about his business is so different between what he did in Florida that made him successful and what he's done so far here in Calgary. I, I wish I had the answer, Derek. I wish I know. As a fan, you guys are are hoping for for more answers too. I don't know what it is. I, I thought maybe last year, a lot of it had to do with Daryl. I thought he got off to a good start. Pat took a ton of heat for saying that he got off to a good start, which he did. But four games in, it was certainly looking like a positive thing for Jonathan Hubert But since then, it's just, it's gone back to the guy that he's been for most of his time here in Calgary. And that's a guy that's not noticeable. And I have to be fair about it for ten and a half million. You're right. You can't be You have to be noticeable one way or another. And it can't be from turnovers. I'm not asking you to score every night. But look dangerous, create opportunities. I don't know that he's developed good chemistry with any of the centers, whether it's been Kadri or Lindholm or at Times Backlund. It's a frustrating, frustrating situation for the Calgary Flames and I know Jonathan feels the same way and he wants to provide for this team he doesn't doesn't like hearing that he's an anchor or that he wants if fans want him to be benched or or anything like this this guy's got a lot of pride in himself and a lot of pride in his game and you can guarantee he doesn't like holding on to the distinction of one of the biggest point drops in NHL history but they gotta figure that out this team is so starved for offense. And that guy had it. I think it's still there somewhere, but how you bring it out, I'm I'm at a loss for it. It's for a smarter hockey mind than mine to figure out because last night was just another example of, man, wouldn't it have been great for a, a late power play for Jonathan Huberto to find it for the Calgary Flames, and it just didn't happen. And I feel for the guy. I really do because I, I I don't I don't buy for a second though he doesn't care he's not trying uh he puts in zero effort that's that's just not true it's just not working for him right now I wish I could uh, give you a better answer than that and unfortunately it's to the point where you're one of an eight year contract if you're sitting there saying well just just toss him you just toss him off to the... it doesn't work like that nobody has cap space right now Nobody's just taking away that contract for you. So if it it's up to Friedman and, and what uh, he says from the Calgary Flames perspective, they're trying to make the best of it. And they're trying to take the road of how can we better Jonathan Huberto? How can we get more out of this guy instead of tearing him down? Then I think that's the right way to go. Uh, quickly, if you missed it, Jordan Osterley uh, placed on waivers today by the Calgary Flames. We'll see what that means as far as the lineup goes for Saturday's game against the Seattle Kraken. Uh, I mentioned that Lind- or excuse me, that Huberto note about them working with him uh, in his game. That was part of Friedman's 32 thoughts written article, which is up at Sportsnet.ca. He had a couple of other Flames tidbits. Uh, Hannifin, we know that Eric Francis uh, and Pat Steinberg on Flame earlier this week were on this that contract talks for the Calgary Flames put on hold right now uh, as they try to figure this thing out. Freedman with a little bit more clarity on the Hannafin side of things. Sounds as though that uh, Noah Hannafin's side, him and his uh, agent, put the contract talks on hold between the two of them. Um, Hannafin not sure if the team is going to take a dramatic turn, a retool, rebuild, if that's um, what he wants to be a part of long term. So, they put the the hold on those contract talks. Uh Friedman reporting in there that the number was somewhere around the same total uh that Devon Taves signed for in Colorado. That's somewhere around uh Tave's total contract in Colorado was fifty point seven five million. So you're somewhere around seven point two five ish million dollars, um, is where they were talking contract for Noah Hannafin. Uh also, in that 32 Thoughts article, Friedman said uh, another NHL exec had mentioned to him that they might put a waiver a veteran player on waivers to try to shake up the room. Um, I don't think Jordan Osterley is that move. Just as every sarcastic Flames account has put out on Twitter, I don't think that's the move. I don't know if they decided to go through with that or not. Uh, Flames did make Chris of an offer. Apparently, the two sides still far apart. And last but not least uh, from uh, Friedman's article, Lindholm and his side, uh, they're asked still higher than the Calgary Flames are willing to go. But we do know that that's in all other contracts right now for the Calgary Flames taking a pause while they're in the midst of this uh, rough six game stretch. Again, they're looking to uh, end this losing streak on Saturday night as part of hockey night in Canada, their first chance to take on their division rival, In the Seattle Kraken. Keep the text coming at 960 960. We'll get more Flames conversation as the afternoon goes on. But when we come back, we're going to switch the conversation over to football. The Calgary Stampeders and the BC Lions set to meet for the second straight year in the West Semifinal. Let's get a look at the Lions. Matt Baker is going to join us, talk all things BC Lions around the corner. Matt Rose will come on in hour two and give you a stamps report. Uh, Division All-Stars named today, four of them from your Calgary Stampeders. Maddie will let you know who those are. And a chat with the new general manager of the Calgary Hitmen, Gary Davidson, is going to join us in hour two as well. Lots to get to on the program. Thanks for being along with us. This is Sportsnet Today here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Saturday afternoon from BC Place. It's the Calgary Stampeders and the BC Lions. In the West semifinal, second straight year these two teams will meet. Stampeders fought their way in despite a six and twelve record, including a win late in the season over the BC Lions, who finished the year at twelve and six. We're looking forward to this matchup, part of course, part of course of the doubleheader of CFL semi-final action on Saturday. Kicks off with a one o'clock Mountain kickoff between the Hamilton Tiger Cats and the Montreal Alouettes. And then around 4.30 from BC, of course, the Stampeders and the Lions. Help us check in on the BC Lions side of things ahead of Saturday's matchup. Very happy to go down the Atlas Peach and Sports Bar guest hotline. Welcome in Matt Baker, manager, communications and content for the BC Lions. On Twitter, at Bakes Takes 84. Matt, thanks for doing this today, man. How are you? Is that Twitter or do they call it X now, Logan? I refuse to call it X. I think that might be what it is, but I'm going to call it Twitter for now. How are you doing, pal? I'm,
3: uh, I'm with you, pal. I'm with you 100% <laughs> of the way. I'm good, man. Uh, pretty solid vibes in town. We have playoff football, like you're just mentioning. Uh, the Canucks are on the fast track uh, to the playoffs, it seems. The Whitecaps <laughs> are still alive. Things are pretty good out here. What about over there? Uh, we
2: probably won't talk about the hockey team too much. It's probably best to, uh, <laughs> avoid that if you want a positive storyline, but, uh, Hey, it was it's only it,
3: 75 games ago. Yeah, all good.
2: exactly. Yeah. It could be a long 75 games, uh, the way it started here in Calgary, but Hey, we thought the same thing about the Calgary Peters at one point. And, uh, although I don't think a sub 500 record is going to get you in the NHL. Here we are again, Matt, looking forward to What should be another great game. The BC Lions and the Calgary Stampeders have seen a lot of each other the last couple of seasons, including the postseason last year. I don't know about you, but I'm really excited for Saturday for a chance to see these two teams go head to head again.
3: Yeah, um, I'm with you 100% there. And uh, I know the Stampeders didn't get there the way they wanted to get there. But uh, I have to tell you, the last month or so of this season, and you see the way Saskatchewan uh, couldn't get it together. And um you know even a couple weeks uh ago the the final regular season game for bc wasn't for calgary out I, I was telling to some i was talking to some people uh involved with the stamps here saying you know i have a feeling we're going to be doing this again in two weeks and and here we are so uh yeah i think you toss the records out uh you know every i think a lot of collectively you know being around this lions team everyone knows uh that this Calgary Stampeder team is a veteran-laden team on both sides of the ball. A lot of guys have been in this situation before, so you add it all up, and uh, I have a feeling it could be, could be a tight one here, but uh, we shall see.
2: I want to ask you about the season that was uh, for Vernon Adams Jr. This is a guy that at times, when he is healthy and ready to go, I think is one of the best dual-threat quarterbacks that the CFL can put out there in terms of, Not only having success passing the ball, Matt, but he can do some pretty incredible things with his legs. Uh, Finished first in passing yards with him under center this year. Uh, And, of course, that's with Dane Evans in tow as a guy that's got some pretty significant CFL experience himself. What would you make of of Vernon Adams Jr.'s regular season heading into the playoffs on Saturday?
3: Yeah, and uh, don't forget, he pretty much missed three full games almost uh, with the first knee injury there at the start. And that's uh, you put that into perspective uh, if you're looking at the margin of being the, the CFL's passing leader. But um was on with you earlier this season, um, sort of going to echo a lot of those thoughts. This guy is all in. Uh, he's a consummate pro. And, you know, I, you mentioned uh, the running ability with his legs. I think that's going to be an important factor here this week. Uh, has not been practicing with the knee brace, which I think is a good sign uh, maybe wasn't uh, close to 100 percent the last time out here a couple weeks ago, and maybe that went into the decision why they decided to take him out at halftime and not risk anything in a game that was trending the way it was. But um, you know, I you know I think if you're if you're talking about the top tier of quarterbacks in this league, obviously Zach Caleros is there. Chad Kelly has earned his way in there. Probably going to be the most outstanding player, I think. Um, but you know, Vernon is right up in that top tier and, uh, and we saw shades of this, his, his previous career best season in Montreal in 2019. And, uh, for whatever reason, uh, they decided to, uh, to move on from him last year and timing couldn't have been better, obviously with Nathan Rourke being injured. But, um, I'm just impressed with Vernon Adams Jr., the player and the person, uh, he came in right away and commanded the respect of that locker room and, I think there's a trickle-down effect to a lot of the the top playmakers on offense. You mentioned
2: Nathan Rourke leaving last year, and I I think it was going to be a tough spot for anybody to walk into those shoes and and knowing, you know, obviously what Nathan did was incredible being, you know, the, the hometown boy in BC and living up to so many expectations. I think it was going to be a tough spot for anybody, but I guess, Talk to me a bit more about the person that Vernaz, do you think a younger quarterback might've struggled living up to those expectations and trying to fill in for what Nathan Rourke was in BC?
3: Absolutely. Um, You know, from the personal standpoint, this is a guy after practice, you know, he's the first guy over helping the equipment staff uh, packing up and uh, he's, I may have told this story before, too, not too long after the trade last year, but a month or so after the team lost a game in Toronto where Sean White, a rare field goal miss, uh, couldn't force overtime at the end. And the first guy to run over and console him from the other end of the bench was Vernon Adams Jr. And, you know, this was a guy who had barely been the starting quarterback for whatever it was, three, four weeks. And he's already uh, he's already leading the charge, right? Mm-hmm. So, um yeah, I mean, you spend a few minutes with them, and I'd heard a lot of these great things about them, but until you, you spend some time with a person, you don't truly see it, experience it. And I think the franchise uh, is in good hands from, you know, again, we're talking about his capabilities uh, behind center, but um, in the locker room, in the meeting room, you know, first one in, last to leave. That's a cliche saying, but it's true. <laughs> um, players follow that, yeah. and that's the guy you want in the building.
2: Offensively, he's done a, a just a you know rich embarrassment of riches when it comes to uh, the wide receiver core in, in BC. Two receivers hit a thousand yards this season, uh, and Keon Hatcher and Alexander Hollins. But the list, you know, goes longer than that when you put in Javon Katoy. Lucky Whitehead is still a threat to to pop a big play. Uh, this is a BC Lions team that uh, has a lot of weapons and is going to have to use them if they want to be at their most effective. Hey. Eh?
3: Yeah, that's true. And uh, add another one to the list, Justin McKinnis. Yes. Uh, free agent signing, and that was one of those. Uh, when it comes down, you know, we get told uh, that we're gonna sign this player. i was like, okay, great, but where is he gonna slot in? But as you know, football is a uh, is a is a game that doesn't come without uh, bad luck on the injury front. We've had a couple guys injured there. Dominique Grimes, Lucky Whitehead, and that has allowed the likes of McKinnis and a guy like Alex Hollins, who you mentioned uh, cracking a thousand yards and becoming an all-star for a first time. So yeah, for me, that's always the fascinating part, you know, being with this team from day one of training camp, Um, you know, you always run into examples of these players. We're talking about saying, yeah, that guy looks pretty good, but where's he going to fit in on the depth chart? Well, that's why they bring all these guys to training camp because uh, you have to have options in case of injuries or, or what have you. So yeah, um, I, it, This receiving group, it seems, every week, every win has a new guy leading the charge. And that has been beneficial um, because, you know, from a matchup perspective, you look at what what Brett Monson and uh, the Stampeders' defense, they're thinking, um, there's a chess match that goes into this. So who are you going to double? Who are you going to allow to free up? Mm -hmm. And, you know, for true football junkies like us, uh, we love looking at these storylines ahead of these games.
2: It's always fun to to watch. And when you have as many weapons as BC has, you're right. It's how you play them and who gets who is is going to play a big factor in a Saturday. As far as the receivers go for BC, I'm not sure if they hold the same name value as they used to, or you know, I'm sure people over the years, obviously, you've heard about G-Roy Simon. Burnham was a a great receiver for so many years in BC, but who's kind of that next guy? Who's leading that receiver room now from that perspective? Because I can think of, the guys i have known them forever in bc i just named a couple of you, you always kind of knew who the guy was in bc who's that guy this year for the lions
3: yeah that's a good question because uh, you pretty much passed the torch almost from g roy to brian burnham like there might have been a one or two year overlap uh, after g roy left so i think um you know if you're asking i mean that's a that's some high praise to include him in this same category. But I think those big three we're talking about, the Rhymes, the Hatcher, the hollands those to me, um, you know, if you're looking at this roster right now, you think, you know, hey, there could be some NFL opportunities, maybe for one or two of those younger guys. I mean, Keon Hatcher had his uh, shot in the NFL, so did Alexander Hollins too, by the way. Um, those are the three I look at and say, okay, maybe one or two of these guys can carry the torch and be that guy for the next four or five years beyond this. Um, you know, player movement is a little more uh, frequent than it was maybe in, in G Roy Simon's prime. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, hopefully you see more and more guys committing to longer term deals and it would allow it from both, you know, a football and uh and a sales perspective too. Right. I mean, there's a lot of guys, um it's a big challenge with this league, as as we've talked about before, is, you know, fans want to buy a jersey. Whose jersey do I buy? And yeah. if you're a fan, one of those three guys you mentioned would love to have any of those just to start. So, yeah, definitely a solid uh, tradition here since the turn of the century as far as uh, elite receivers.
2: Yeah, no doubt. Uh, Matt Baker's along with us. We're taking a look at the Stampeders opposition for Saturday in the West semifinal. It is Of course, the BC Lions. Uh, Matt, I can't get too far into this conversation without talking about the guy that I think is going to be the most outstanding defensive player uh, this season. That's Matthew Betts. He led uh, the career-high 18 sacks, first BC Lion to lead the league since Karan Williams tallied 12 back in 2012. Uh, A Laval product, also had 44 defensive tackles. He was in on special teams, uh, single-season Canadian sack record. It's just... The list goes on and on for this guy this year and we talk about great B C Lions receivers. Man, I go through the list of of rushers and pass rushers. I mentioned Carron Williams there, but throw in Cam Wake and Brent Johnson and the guys that have, you know, rushed the passer for the B C Lions and for him to be among the best in in Lions history and have the season he had was pretty impressive.
3: Yeah, and uh, that was another guy who was signed in free agency ahead of twenty twenty two and you know some some of those players, uh, some of those people, observers that may not have been as familiar with them, they just look at the stats and say, okay, this guy didn't really have many sacks. What does he bring? You know, but I remember the talk about Matthew Betts coming out of the CFL Combine in his draft year, and I guess for whatever reason, there was a change in regime, a change of coaching uh, with the Elks. Uh, they elected to go with some of their own guys, and um, yeah, this guy's been a difference maker. He he's um, to use a football term you might hear more often than not. He plays with a high motor, and that's going to be a big element of su- to success for the Lions in this game is Is making Jake Mayer uncomfortable and, and trying to contain the running game, which uh, which Calgary didn't really have much of a factor going in last year's playoff meeting. But, um, yeah, it's funny. As the story went on and uh, as he remained on pace to break this record, I mean, as the communications guy, I had to remind them every time he did an interview, yeah, they might ask you about that Brent Johnson guy again, so... <laughs> But you know what? It turned out to be a pretty good homework assignment for him because you look at Matthew's birth certificate, he doesn't necessarily maybe remember Brent Johnson in his prime, right? You forget how young these guys are. So um, I think he did his due diligence. He went back and watched a lot of games. And and I know Brent Johnson loved watching this guy too. I mean, uh, that game two weeks ago when he broke the record, uh, Brent still has season tickets, still lives here in Vancouver. Um, and he recorded a nice congratulatory message so um, yeah we're talking about faces of the franchise and the need to uh, and the need to keep churning them out I mean that goes true on defense too I mean the Matthew Betzes the Ben Halatics Mm -hmm. a career year for Ben uh, turned out to be one of the best lion draft picks uh, in the last few years so those have been important as well
2: yeah. Funny you mentioned Ben, because it feels like I can do this at a lot of positions. We, we've talked about the former greats leading into some of the current greats on this BC lions team. And for most CFL fans, you won't have to look long and, and hard to remember the days of, you know, Solomon al in the middle of that BC lions defense, just being the, the leader out there, the guy that you knew was going to make a tackle when you needed it. And Ben Holadik over a hundred tackles this season, him and Bola combo, making up a great tandem there. How important are they going to be? We're talking so much about this run game for Calgary, and we know here in Calgary, if they want to win, they're going to have to show up on the running side of things. For BC, I imagine those are probably the two guys you're looking at the most to help stop that run from the Stampeders.
3: Yeah, uh, the second level of that defense is important, right? I mean, uh, if, you have a vulner- if you have a vulnerable run defense, uh, you need those guys Um. To sort of back you up, complementary football rates, right? and uh, um, by no means diminishing the stat, but you know, a reason a guy like Ben Halatic gets to a hundred tackles—the uh, only the fourth Canadian ever to do that—I think is is because a lot of times you are cleaning up what happens up front. So, mm-hmm. yeah, this is a this is a time of possession, field position type game, much like it turned into last year. You recall last year, Calgary had a good start last year uh, they took the opening kickoff won the toss and ultimately couldn't find the end zone we're having to settle for field goals and um you know it was one of those games you remember it was a third down gamble Antonio Pipkin on short yardage a bit of a toss to Keon Hatcher I mean I think it's going to take something like that again so yeah and uh those guys uh on the front seven of the defense will will have a certainly have a big say
2: uh, this was just wrapping things up here, uh, Matt. Uh, I've been really impressed from afar at uh, everything you guys have done in the last little while here, promoting the game in BC. It's been great to see some big crowds out there. I know Amar Doman has, you know, made that a big focus about trying to get BC Lions football back in into Vancouver and back into BC as a a must see event. And correct me if I'm wrong. I believe you guys have opened up uh, the second deck for Saturday's game. Is that right?
3: Yeah, uh, Upper Bowl seating is open. Uh, anyone in Calgary listening, thinking about making the trip, uh, we're very welcoming here. We're not like uh, Edmonton or Regina. <laughs> um, but I'm I'm saying this because $25 tickets in the Upper Bowl, professional sports playoff, uh, find me a better deal than that. I don't, yeah. I'm not sure you can. But, yeah, uh, Amar's been outstanding. And, yeah, kind of echoing again what I've said on the program previously, um, you know, it's it's beneficial to have someone who's all in from a community perspective and connected to the corporate business community. Um, you know, and I hear I hear this mentioned all the time from people who come here for games from other markets that they never used to see such a presence downtown like banners and street light signs. And, you know, doesn't seem like anything big on the surface, but it does help. You have to stay relevant in the vicinity of where you play in. And I, you know, I, I think a challenge for a lot of years was the demographics of downtown Vancouver, where BC Place Stadium is, had changed considerably. A lot of those people living around the stadium are not necessarily people who grew up at the CFL. Mm-hmm. But we're changing that, um, You know, having a bigger presence on campuses, um, more dedication to community, growing the game at the grassroots level. Uh, and Amar gets it from that perspective. It's uh, truly been outstanding and and a breath of fresh air. That's
2: great to hear. It's been really fun to see from afar. BC, uh, still one of my favorite places in the entire league to go watch a game, and uh, I love seeing the big crowds out there. As With any team, and you know this, Matt, with any team, it's great to see other teams having success because the CFL, it's just better for as a league to have everybody going on the same page. It's hard to do that, but... Uh, from a, a strictly BC Lions perspective, it's it's good to see some of those jerseys back out there. It's good to see some excitement around the team again.
3: Yep. And uh, come playoff time, it just gets ample, amplified even more. Uh, very much looking forward to Saturday.
2: Me too, pal. Thank you for hopping on with us today, Matt. Really appreciate it. Anytime. Enjoy the game Saturday, pal. Thank you, sir. You too. Thank you. Matt Baker joining us down the Atlas Beach and Sports Bar. Guest hotline. A look at the opposition on Saturday. For the Calgary Stampeders, it is the BC Lions back-to-back seasons in the West semifinal uh, for these two teams to match up again. They're the 4.30 kickoff Saturday afternoon in BC Place. If you're looking to go watch some football on the weekend, you could pick a worse place to go than Vancouver, as Matt said. $25 tickets. It's one of the uh, indoor stadiums in the league. Don't have to worry about the weather. Uh, It's a blast. It's a great place to go watch a football game and go cheer on the Stampeders as they look to uh, make some noise in the CFL postseason, season uh, Let's get a Stampeders look at things. Let's kick off hour two, looking at the hometown boys, the Stampeders with four All-Stars named on this Thursday afternoon. We'll find out who made the list for West Division All-Stars and get a look at how the team's getting set for their matchup Saturday against the BC Lions. Matt Rose has your Stamps report. That's how we're kicking off hour two. It's next here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan.